0: Morning. If you need a Bible this morning, uh, raise your hand. We'll grab one for you. We'll get somebody in the back and bring one to you if you need one. I uh, want to make sure you get a Bible in your hand. We're going to be using them this morning. As we sang that last song, uh, He washed it white as snow. You know, the picture that came through my mind actually was what took place Friday night. Um, as We had a little snowstorm here in northwest Ohio, and uh, the flakes were coming down pretty hard. as the a football game, and And the field got dim, and then it got bright, and it got dim, and it got bright. And I'm thinking, there's something wrong with the lights. And I'm looking up the lights, and I realize, oh, I know what's wrong with the lights. It's the 40-mile-per-hour gust that's hitting the lights. It's causing them to go back and forth. And uh, you could see the lights going back and forth, and so the lights would project out and then project down on the field. And uh, then towards the end of the game, we're watching all the snow coming down. And then all the football players meet at midfield uh, to pray. And it was... I'm thinking that, you know, he washed it white as snow, and to see all these guys take a knee and bow, and someday that will be us before the throne of God. It was cool seeing them, and I know Mason and Zach uh, helped lead that prayer uh, at midfield. That was awesome, and and hats off to all of our students, athletes um, that are part of sports and music and education. and trying to live for Christ in, this, in their schools is not easy. And so any opportunity when we see students gather and take a knee, whether it's at school, in a Bible study, a huddle, or some kind of sporting event after a game they pray, it's, it's exciting to see that. And it's, it's worth noting and saying, way to go, guys, keep it up. And so I, I feel like if I, I, like I say anything wrong over here, I might get tackled by the front row of players. So I'm a little, a little worried over here. But, um, but that was going through my mind about how God takes our sin and just washes it white as snow. And uh, it's a beautiful song, beautiful song. Praise God that he paid it all. Amen? Hey, we're in a new series called American Idols. If you didn't notice, it's on the front of your bulletin. Uh, After focusing on the attributes of the one true God, which we did for about five or six weeks, uh, we said this, we've got a God that's incredible. Incredible God. But he gives us this command to say, worship him and him alone, not all these other things that are around us. And uh, we're not supposed to have any of the gods in our life because in Christianity, we understand there is only one God. Period. Now, there's a bunch of other false gods. It's a small g, okay? Uh, and we tend to chase after those. But in Christianity, we worship a powerful, just, holy, eternal, faithful God. And there's so much more that can be said about him. And God loves us so much. You have to understand this part here, okay? Because here's what separates God from all these other false gods. God loves us so much that he has this relentless pursuit and love for us, that he chases us down with this love. We threw a couple of scriptures up last week. We'll put them up again. Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8 says this. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God is something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born of a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself himself in obedience to God, and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus left the throne and came here in a relentless pursuit of love for us. John 3, 16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us so much. So we threw those verses up last because a reminder that, that God loves us with incredible, relentless love. The problem is... We live in a world that's filled with a bunch of other false idols and false gods that are battling for our hearts. God wants the place to the throne on our heart. Unfortunately, we have all these other idols that say, we want that place instead. So this series that we've been in is sort of facing those small Gs, those small gods that battle for our heart. And the one thing I'm going to focus on this morning, the one God that I'm going to talk about this morning could be controversial, could make you uncomfortable, might make my face blush. It might make your face blush. I don't know. Because we wonder, can we talk about intimacy in church? Is that a topic we're allowed to mention in church? And for those of you who are visiting, it's like, oh, interesting Sunday to visit. He's going to talk about certain things that, you know, that's on the late night shows, okay? It's in the Bible, right? Let's back up here, okay? Physical intimacy, sexual, what God's given to us as human beings was given to us by God. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. matter of fact, open up your Bible to Genesis 2. It's the first book in the Bible. Can't miss it. Open it up. It's right past the, uh, the contents there And the welcome. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. I love this. God had just created Adam, okay? And then he put Adam in his deep sleep and pulled out one of his ribs and says, I'm going to make a helper for Adam. I'm going to make a, a woman, okay? And this is Adam's reaction. Okay, he wakes up, okay? He's like, "Woohoo! That's not in there, but it's Hebrew or something in there. He goes, at last, yes! She is part of my own flesh and bone. She will be called woman because she was taken out of a man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, although Adam and his wife... We're both naked, neither of them felt any shame. That's how the Bible starts. After all of creation, here's man and woman, God puts them together in unity, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and says, this is good. This is what I created, this is my gift to you. Intimacy with husband and wife is more than just a physical act, it's a spiritual connection too. And I want you to think about this because God created intimacy in a way that was purposeful in reproduction obviously but also pleasurable a lot of times we separate those two things out and it's like no god gave them both to us see he could have made reproduction in another way he really could he could have made it mechanically he could have make it joyless he could have made it like hair growing on your arm like all of a sudden one says hey I'm, I'm pregnant don't know how it happened but it's just, just like hair growing on my arm that's just how it happens right but god didn't create us that way there's in a book uh, called The Amazing Body Human by Dr. Cosgrove. Sometime pick it up, read it. You'll be amazed at all how the body is so connected to one another. The hundreds and thousands of facial muscles that you have. someones like, I thought I only had like three, you know. Um, you'll read as you discover through this what God created. He created with purpose. And so when we talk about the sexual mechanics of a human being, it's like it's, in, it's intertwined with all of you, physically and then emotionally and spiritually. It's his gift to us. Now I want you to think about this. When somebody gives you a gift, on account of three, you're going to tell me the reply because this is what you say, right? Okay, I give you a gift and you say, Thank you. Isn't that, that was so easy, wasn't it? That's what we do when somebody gives us a gift. So here's the deal. When somebody gives you a gift, you say thank you. You use that gift accordingly, right? You don't abuse the gift, nor do you ignore the one who gave it. So if you gave me a gift, can you hand me your Bible and say this is for you? It's for me. Thank you. So now I've been given a gift. I'm not going to abuse it. I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to come back to the one who gave it to me and say, thank you so much. I've been reading this. I've been learning a lot. If you wouldn't have given this to me, I wouldn't be learning today thank you. That's how we handle gifts, right? Thank you. That's what we're supposed to do, but unfortunately, we've taken God's gift of intimacy that he's given us, and we've abused it. We've been thankless to the giver of gifts, and we have abused it, and we've abused it even with others. Kyle Eidelman says this, the gifts should cause us to love and worship the giver more deeply, but all too easily God's gifts to us, end up being his greatest competition. Listen to that again. The gift should cause us to love and worship the giver more deeply. But all too easily, God's gifts to us end up being his greatest competition. Now I'm going to use an illustration here, and this illustration has nothing to do with anything going on in my house right now. Okay? So make sure that's clear so that my boys here don't say, Oh, thanks, Dad. This illustration came up long before our conversations. Okay? I want you all to think about um, Christmas time coming up here, okay? I want you to think about your kids and maybe something that they want for Christmas. Now for those of you that have grown up and your kids, think back, okay? For those of you that don't have any, think about yourself when you wanted something really bad, okay? Roger's got it. Awesome. Okay. So right now let's just pretend that one of my boys wants a new iPad for Christmas, okay? Christmas approaches, I'm thinking about this, how much my son would really want an iPad, okay? I'm thinking about a smile on his face right now that he, oh, if he gets this iPad, I can just see it Christmas morning. That smile is going to be pretty awesome, okay? But now I'm thinking about, boy, um, that's a few hundred dollars. Uh, We're going to have to save up for that. Okay, so I can sort of cut here, cut there, put some money aside, be able to get that to him. It's expensive. It's a sacrifice, but it's for my child, Okay? So I'm gonna save up. So on Christmas morning, I give my child that gift. I give him that iPad. Oh, the hug he gave me, okay? The smiles, it's everything I, I knew. I, I expected that smile, I expected that reaction. It was awesome, okay? Felt so good. And then he takes the iPad and boom, he's off to his room, okay? Because he's figuring it all out. He's turning it on, he's setting it up. He's gonna play some games, gonna download some music, check out some new apps he can get for free and all that kind of stuff. And, and he's having fun with it, okay? I stopped by the room a little bit later that day and said, Hey, how's it going? Are you checking it yet? Yeah, I can't talk right now, Dad. I'm busy. All right, enjoy that. Merry Christmas. You know. Sort of walk out of the room. Days go on and sort of the same thing gets repeated. Okay? And matter of fact, sometimes at the table, um, we're eating. It got a little distracted because the iPad was at the table. Probably shouldn't be, right? Um, but there's a little distraction there. Or we get in the vehicle and we're driving somewhere. I say, hey, guys, did you see that? Did you see what I, and like, oh, what was it, Dad? I, I, did I miss them? You missed a lot, okay, this, never mind. You see you what I'm saying? You see what's going on here, okay? At some point in time, not sure when, all of a sudden, they became a little less content. He became a little bit more irritable. Matter of fact, as a parent, I became a little more irritable, okay? And uh, how could a nice gift with such great intentions, go wrong. Some of you parents probably know what I'm talking about. Some of you kids might know what I'm talking about. What was meant to be such a wonderful gift, to bring such joy, all of a sudden it'd become a point of contention and competition. If I would have known that that's where this gift was going, I would have never gotten it. Matter of fact, I sort of despise that gift now. sort of makes me upset, right? Because the gift became more important than the giver. I want you to think about this. This is what happens with us and God. God gives us a lot of incredible gifts. And the intimacy between husband and wife is one of those gifts. But what happens when that gift is abused and forgotten about? And the giver of that gift is forgotten about. And that becomes a God in our life. And that God in our life becomes a tyrant. And that tyrant becomes a slave master. And suddenly we become a slave to that gift and not appreciative of the giver. You follow what I'm saying? Turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel. We're in Genesis, so we'll just move forward a few books. 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13, there's some turmoil that's happening here in David's family, King David. Now, I want you to understand something here about um, the Bible and situations like this. Now, this happens, um, this whole situation here, the king of Israel... In keeping custom with the time, um, David had various wives. uh, That's plural, okay? Multiple children as a result of those wives, okay? Far from approving or even condoning polygamy, the Old Testament often provides examples one after another of why this doesn't work. Now, some people say, well, isn't polygamy in the Bible? Yes, and it doesn't approve of it. Matter of fact, it shows you What happens when you do these things are against God's will? This is one of those moments, okay? And here's what's happening, okay? Look at verse 1. David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Follow problem with this? Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible that he could ever fulfill his love for her duh, she's your half-sister. Now, at this point in time, people are saying, really, that's in there? Yes, that's in there. Because we are a sin-sick world, and this is the way things happen. Okay? Let's read on. Now, I am then had a very crafty friend. Oh, back it up. Back it up. We need to stop right there. When you have somebody described as a crafty friend, it's time for you to find new friends. Just saying. Okay, and then we'll move on here. His cousin was Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother, Shema. One day Jonadab said to Ammon, What's the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Ammon told him, I'm in love with Tamar, Absalom's sister. Hashtag, my half-sister. Hashtag, that's wrong. Here we go. Verse 6, or 5. Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed, pretend you're sick. When your father comes to see you, Ask him to let Tamara come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she feeds you. That's all he needed to hear. That's all the advice is, you know, Amnon's like, got it from here. Thanks, cuz. Appreciate that. Okay, and that even makes it even worse. This is your cousin, okay, telling you how to come up with a way to get to your half-sister. It's, like, it's one of those moments where you're all like, nah, you don't want to hear that, right? If you're at home at Christmas time or Thanksgiving, you have a family get-together, and you start hearing this going on in your home, you're like, ah, not in our house. No, that's, yeah, it's in the Bible. Here we go. Let's read on, okay? Verse 6. So Amnon pretended to be sick, and when the king came to him, Amnon asked him, please let Tamar come to take care of me and cook something for me to eat. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. When Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the room where he was lying down so he could watch her mix some dough. Then she baked some special bread for him. But when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone get out of here. He told his servants and he left. Verse 10. Then he said to Tamar, Now bring me the food in my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took it to him. But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, Come to bed with me, my darling sister. Stop there. At this point in time, the story, we, you know, you can read on it later if you want, but what happened next is tragic. Absolutely horrible as he rapes his sister, half-sister. The Bible says she put ashes on her head. She tore her beautiful robe. actions symbolizing her loss of virginity and her sorrow. She left weeping and broken. Now listen, Amnon's sexual sin here brought incredible destruction and devastation upon not only his family but the community and the entire nation this was king david's son and daughter the king's kids right now i'm sure many of us you're probably sitting there right now saying what does this have to do with us here are true north right why, why are we being addressed with this this morning well, because we, we, we have to address all things in the Bible. Okay, we don't pick and choose, say, what would be good for us Say What would be good for you? Let's not talk about that, okay? We need to address this. And hopefully nothing has to do with this story with any of us. But if you look back to the first verse, actually verse 2, and then became so obsessed. You ever hear that word before in your house? Did you ever hear that word before coming out of your mouth? Man, I'm so obsessed with this right now. Let me give you a warning here. If you use the word obsess or you hear the word obsessed, and it has nothing to do with God, whatever it is you are referring to has become a God in your life. Any obsession of yours is a false God. Be careful with that. God gives us incredible gifts. Enjoy them. Use them for his glory. Use them as he's created for purpose. Some gifts have been given for pleasure. But when we make those gifts an obsession, it will destroy our lives, as it did with Ammon and Tamar and the royal family and so forth and so on. Hopefully none of this has to do with, with us in this room because I believe everybody in this room right now would say, I would never go down that horrible path. Never do it. Matter of fact, if you say that hallway leads to prosperity and godliness and sexual intimacy, which is in God's purpose, this path over here is lust and rape and horrible things that is just a displeasure to God which path are you going to take it's just like what we do with the kids in school right? we have those drug conversations with them and it's like don't do drugs, they make posters they, you just look on the back, they've got all this we're not going to bully, we're drug free they're all like that right, kids sign as little kids, they, they all choose the right path, but at some point in time they take a, they take a detour in the same way we say I would never be Like Amnon, I would never do that. There's no way, Jose, not happening. Okay? But what happens? Somehow we, there we go. Somewhere, something good, a gift from God, becomes an obsession. And when that something good becomes a God, the pleasure it brings dies. Now, the Bible records how Amnon responded when he finally gave in to his lusts. He gave in to his lust, and then it says in verse 15, when it was all done, he hated her more than he loved her. So when you give, you give in to an obsession, you give in to that pleasure, this is what happens. The God of intimate pleasure promises you incredible satisfaction. So you look at the magazines, you surf the websites, you, you go a little bit further with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and uh, you obsess over what it would be like to give in. But what happens is, is that false god of obsession brings you empty promises. You feel empty, and actually you feel almost immediately hungry for something new and more. Instead of closeness, you experience a strange sense of something that feels like loneliness. You don't feel good anymore about yourself. Guilt rides in. Then we try to cover up guilt with something else. Praise God we sang that song, Jesus Paid It All. Right? Because at this point in the sermon, we could stop right now and just say, Jesus paid it all. He took care of that. That sin, that struggle that we have, He paid it all. You know, in 1 Kings 18, we saw Elijah. We, we talked about this last week. Elijah had this big showdown in Mount Carmel, okay? The prophets of Baal gathered. Elijah gathered. He gave that message to all the people choose this day whom you're going to serve. You choose. Okay. Nobody responded, right? They said, Prophets of Baal, you go first. So they put there. they made their altar, they sacrificed their animal, they danced, they danced wildly, they got crazy, they started cutting themselves, they kept sacrificing more and more and more to try to get their God to respond. We talked about that last week, okay? They continued to raise the stakes to try to get their God to respond. It didn't happen. Matter of fact, same thing probably happens with us when it comes to love and it comes to intimacy. We sacrifice more and more and more thinking we're going to get something out of this God of pleasure but it never gives back. Right now, you may not know this, let's think about this like, well, how are we sacrificing to the God of intimacy and pleasure? Financially. Let me tell you the state of America right now. Financially, more money is spent on pornography than country, rock, jazz, um, and classical music put together. More money is spent on pornography than the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the National Basketball Association. Those three professional sports, all the money they make and generate, think about millions and billions of them, put together, pornography generates more money. Last year it actually grossed more than ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox networks put together. An industry worth more than $10 billion. We have sacrificed our money to this obsession. What else have we sacrificed? Marriage. Countless marriages have been torn apart as a result of it. Children, because then children get maybe born out of wedlock and, and unfortunately maybe a parent then gives up their child and their child is left alone. No child wants to be left alone. Sexual slavery, one of the biggest growing industries, shamefully even in our nation people have lost their careers misconduct and fired teachers accused of sexual misconduct and i'm sure that when they went into the education of their school they went in thinking i'm going to be the teacher of the year i'm going to help these kids grow and learn and next thing you know they're being fired because of misconduct of sexual intimacy with a student they never chose that right i've never taken that path but how did they get there there's a phrase maybe you've heard, it's called uh, garbage in, garbage out. Let's hear you say it, garbage in, garbage out. Here we go. Look at the person next to you and say garbage in, garbage out. Okay, awesome. Because here, this is really simple, okay? Um, Tuesday morning, something really cool happens at our house. I'm not sure what day of the week this happens at your place, if it does or does not, okay? But Tuesday's our morning. On Tuesday morning... One of my sons, he's collected all the garbage from around the house. He gets a garbage bag, throws everything, goes to every room, wherever there's a garbage canister, empties out, puts it in the big bag. Takes that bag, puts it in a larger bag with more of those bags, ties it up. Puts a little red sticker around it, takes it out to the side of the road, and sets it down, okay? That's where he leaves it, okay, or I leave it. We sort of work together sometimes on this, okay? So there it is. I go to work, I come home, and the bag is gone. Amazing. Amazing. It's like the garbage ferry came and took it. It's pretty cool, right? Truth is, it wasn't the garbage ferry. It was a garbage truck. A couple happy guys on the back of a vehicle, whoo, throwing it on, and, and they take it off, right? And then they head down the road, and did you ever follow behind one of those trucks, by the way? Yeah, look at your, look at the person next to you and say, stinky, okay. okay all, right. all right, so it smells, right? So you're behind the garbage truck, and, and you know, do you ever follow it and find out where it goes? Sometimes follow it. See where it goes. See where it ends up. You know, and you get there because this is what's going to happen. It's going to pull up at this big heel. It's going to go up a ways and it's going to stop. The back's going to open up and it's going to open this way and sort of lift. And all of it's going to come out. My garbage bag comes rolling out and the bag busts open. You know what came out? Gold coins, chocolate candy bars, smiling puppies, and rainbows. Some of you are like, this pastor needs more sleep. That hour didn't help. What comes out of the garbage bag? Garbage. It's so simple, isn't it? We we think that, you know, garbage into this bag tied up and we open up something else is going to come out. No, you know what? It's actually, it's even worse. When it comes out, it even smells even worse. It looks even worse, okay? Garbage in, garbage out. It's a simple phrase, but in the same way, here's the deal. Whatever we bring into our lives, whatever we listen to, I, I... I'll say to my kids sometimes, I'll say to other students sometimes, like, a a song will come on the radio it's like from the, I don't know, 70s, 80s Clay asked me the other day you ever hear of Michael Jackson's song Thriller? You know what he does and I did the little shimmy whatever And it's like when he was in the graveyard, it's like where'd you learn that? It's like, dude, I own the album (laughs) anyway um, but it's like, I only had to listen to it once or twice, whatever you listen to guess what? Input's in here stays in there Any music you listen to, it's there. It's there. I can, you know, the first groups I ever listened to, I could tell you them. I could sing some of their songs. You don't want to hear it, okay? But with our ears, the songs we hear, the words we intake, guess what? Whatever we listen to, it's in. Whatever we watch, it's in. Whatever shows, whatever magazines you looked at, whatever movies you're going to watch, guess what? Whatever you allow into your life, good or garbage, whatever comes in, it's gonna produce something similar. So if you're listening to good things, it should be producing good things. If you're listening to garbage, you're gonna produce garbage. That's just sort of the way it works. For example, I want, you know, think about the horror movies, okay? It was, Halloween was just this past week. Everybody's into watching scary movies and horror movies and all that kind of stuff. If you go to the movie theaters now, you'll look, you'll see most of them are horror movies, like The Evil Within and Evil This and Evil That. I mean, there's all kinds of evil movies. Let me tell you something, okay? Evil's real. It's not Hollywood. Demon possession is real. It's not Hollywood. Okay. Conjuring up the dead is real. Just check it out. Read through the Old Testament sometime. You're going to see that all that stuff that they're making movies about is real stuff. Okay. And, you know, I, I really do enjoy I have fun with Halloween. I really do. I mean, I don't know why as a kid I always enjoyed it. But I, I enjoy dressing up wigs, costumes, whatever. If you come to our house for trick or treat, you're going to get a, a treat. Okay, in more ways than one, hopefully. I figured if the kids going to come to my place asking for candy, I'll have some candy. But I'm going to have fun. With, I'm going to make them work for it. Okay, you can't just come up to our door and just hand your hand out. You've got to say what <laughs> exactly. Then I ask you, do I have to smell your feet? And usually the kids like, huh? I'm just asking. And I said, so which one you want, trick or treat? And they'll say, I say, well, you actually asked me trick-or-treat, so I'm going with trick, and I'll say, pull my finger. <laughs> now, I've got a remote control fart machine. Some of you, and I, you guys are like really thinking, okay, he needs more sleep. Okay, so I had that remote control, and I, I'll hide it in different places, sometimes in my pocket, sometimes in a bowl of candy, sometimes in a bush. So they pull my finger, and I push the remote control, and they're looking around like, what is going on? It's even better when I have the little kids bend over to the bowl to get the candy and I push it when they're bending over. And then I say, was that you princess? And she's like, no. And the boy's like, yeah, well, she does it all the time. Um, We have fun with this. And it's like, listen, we're going to have fun. We're going to make you laugh. We're going to enjoy this time, okay? But because here's the deal, because the rest of Halloween is scary and and conjures up a lot of evil stuff. And so don't like celebrating that part of it at all. Um, I enjoyed it. Matter of fact, when I first moved to Wasion, you probably heard this story before, When I moved to Wauseon, I didn't know the rules about trick-or-treating. So I grew up in the country, in a farm. We went like to five houses. That's all the gas money we could afford to drive around every mile to find one person. So we'd come home with three candy bars, a popcorn bowl, and an apple or something. When I moved to Wauseon, I was in an apartment on Spruce Street. I didn't know to turn off your lights. I bought one bag of candy. I thought that was good enough. Kids kept coming. Kids ke- I ran out of candy within five minutes. And they kept- I didn't know what to do. I panicked. I, here's, here's this bachelor guy living in an apartment in the first time not knowing what to do. I was handing out pudding packs, applesauce. I was popping popcorn, bagging it up. The bags were sort of melting as the, the hot popcorn was going up. Sorry, enjoy. Um, I didn't know what to do. I handed out know, all kinds of stuff. I closed the door that night. I thought, that was horrible. I don't, I don't want to do trick-or-treating in Wausea again. Fast forward three years later, is was at volleyball practice, freshmen come in, getting to meet some of the freshmen for the first time, and like, coach, I've met you before, because we're introducing ourselves. I said, now, how do you know me? Well, I came to your house Halloween a few years ago. Oh, yeah, you gave me a can of green beans. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> right. I, mean, I was handing out everything. I, I forgot about the green beans. Um, sort of what you do is like, hey, we need food in the food pantry. What am I not going to eat? Yeah, that. <laughs> um, So, Trick-or-treating is always fun for me, so I've, I've enjoyed it, okay? But here's the thing. Well, here's the thing. There's always something this time of the year to fear, right? So if, if you, whatever, it's spiders, clowns, I don't know, monsters, darkness, yogurt. Yogurt? <laughs> okay. I'll roll with that. Maybe some people, yogurt, okay. But, okay. but now let's think about this. There's even other things that even get scarier, right? Cancer, death, illness, the Ebola, you know, terrorism, ISIS, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. Now it's scarce, right? So here's my point with all this. Why would I go pay more money, scare me with a really evil movie, okay? I want to go in this haunted house. Now, the only thing I could find good out of that is if I maybe got a girlfriend or something and I want to hold her hand, she'll grab my hand in that scary place. That's the only good thing I could find out of that, okay? But my point is, what you bring into your life, because here's the thing with fear, okay? We have fun with that, But really when it comes down to fear fear doesn't care who you are where you live or what you do fear does not discriminate fear doesn't care what age you are what sex you are what background you have your finances your looks see fear is the devil's best friend and the enemy of jesus christ so fear just wants to usher itself into your life and paralyze you and keep you from living a joyful life so when i bring fear into my life I'm putting it in a place it should not be. For God did not give me a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. That's what God gives. So when I bring things that should not be in my life, I've got to make room for it. And how's that? Well, then God goes out. So what I'm saying is, garbage in, garbage out. Be careful what you put in your life. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you read. I heard an old uh, Cherokee Indian story. Many of you probably read this. You get a lot of those emails that get forwarded on. This was one of those stories. It was about an old Cherokee chief. He was teaching his grandson about life. So the grandson sat down next to him, and the Cherokee chief looked at him and said, he said, uh, there's a fight going on inside of me. And the boy looked at him, sort of tilted his head. What do you mean, grandpa? It's a terrible fight. It's between two wolves. One wolf is evil, is angry, envious, full of sorrow and greed and regret, arrogance, self and..." guilt and resentment and false pride and self-doubt and ego. That's an evil wolf. The other wolf is good. He's kind. He's joy and peace, love, hope. He's empathy. He's generosity. He's truth. He's compassion. He is faith. And these two wolves fight inside me. And they fight inside you. And they fight inside of everyone. The little grandson's eyes sort of got big and he thought about it for a minute. Then he said his to his grandpa, he looked at him and said, which wolf will win? And the grandfather looked back at him and said, the one that you feed the most. The one that you feed the most. Paul said, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's love, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another, listen, there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. hear that? That's a great Cherokee chief story, but Paul said it thousands of years ago. There's a battle with wind within us, and the question is, who wins out? Garbage in, garbage out. That's why Proverbs 4.23, we said last week, above all else, guard your hearts. For everything you do flows from it. Be careful how you think. Be careful what you watch, because you'll end up worshiping it. And You know, we learned that Thoughts shape our attitudes, our behaviors, our emotions, are all intertwined. The mind seems to be the starting point, the mind and the heart. And Proverbs twenty three, seven, as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Turn with me to Second Corinthians. We're going to close with the scripture. Second Corinthians chapter five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then you're into Corinthians. Second Corinthians five. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Do we have it up on the screen? Yeah, that's right there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Paul's defending his authority here, and there's some arguments that were going on, and I love what Paul does here. Let's read this. With these weapons, we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas, and we teach them to obey Christ. Now, another, let me read this to another translation. Um, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps us from knowing God. What is it that's keeping us from knowing God right now? We've got to destroy that. We've got to get it out. Now, how do we do this? The second part of that verse, we capture those rebellious thoughts, and we teach them to obey Christ. We take captive every thought, is probably a translation you heard growing up. Take captive every thought. Now, notice, Paul doesn't say, here's what we do. We capture the devil. We take the devil into captivity. No. Rather, he tells you to take captive every thought into captivity to be into Christ. See, the devil tries to invade us through our minds, through lies. If you do this, it will bring pleasure. If you do this, you'll be happy. If you do this, those are all lies. If you don't take your thoughts captive, it would just be a matter of time before the devil starts using those lies to create mental and emotional strongholds in your life for the purpose of keeping you in bondage. So we've got to take those thoughts captive, or they'll take us captive. We've got to quit listening to every lie the devil throws our way, and the world says this will make you happy, this will make you popular. We try to sink it into our brain and instead start taking those thoughts into captivity under the obedience of Christ and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I do not want this in my mind right now. Take it captive, usher it out. It's really simple. Pull down every mental, emotional stronghold in your life, but you've got to do it with spiritual warfare. You know, we say garbage in, garbage out, and I could come up with, here's five things you can do to make your life garbage-free. Forget those first five things, because here's where it begins. It begins with Jesus Christ. We're talking about spiritual things here. So if you aren't spiritually taking captive those thoughts, it doesn't matter what physically you're doing. So God's pleasure might make you think that boundaries and rules are restricted and old-fashioned, right? Every student in here probably hears, well, if you're going to date, if you're going to go out with that person, don't do this, don't do that. And how many times have we heard people say, that is so old-fashioned. The way you guys dated, what you guys did, that's so old-fashioned. Teens aren't like that anymore. Young people aren't like that anymore. We do whatever we want to do. Let me tell you something. There's a reason why you put a fish in a fish bowl. When you put that fish in a fish bowl, and it's swimming around, you might think, oh, it's really restricted right now. It needs freedom, so let's just take it out and put it up here on the table. So you slip on the table, and this is not called a happy dance. This is called a fish dying because that fish belongs in the bowl where the water is to survive. Kyle Edelman tells a story about, he took his daughter and they took their fish bowl to a swimming pool, the city swimming pool, and they put it there because his daughter was like, oh, daddy, the fish wants to be near a lot of water. So they put it there, but they thought, well, we'll put it closer by the the fish, the uh, swimming pool. And so there's the fish bowl, swimming pool, and somehow that fish got into the swimming pool, which they thought, that's awesome, because it's got so much room now, so much freedom, right? Chlorine, it's a nasty chemical, right? It wasn't too long after they searched and searched for that fish in that big swimming pool that they found in the deep end it had gone deep, but then it had come up and belly up. See, a lot of people, even maybe that little girl, thought, there's so much more freedom for that fish if had a bigger place to swim. But what they found out was there's chemical which Sometimes we think there's boundaries and those boundaries restrict us but actually God gives us his word not just as boundaries but as life-giving freedom. We think it's a boundary but God says, no, it's protecting you because outside it's very dangerous and you'll die. Some of us don't like seatbelts, right? They cramp your style. I realize no, but they may save your life. Some of us don't like red lights, right? Traffic lights, ah, red light but that could be fending off a horrible collision, right? See, all those things that we think are restricting us, the gods of pleasure say, oh, we we don't like fishbowls, we don't like seatbelts, and we don't like red lights, right? God says they're there for a reason. Ask God this morning for a spiritual filter in your life. I'm going to have the worship team, would you please come forward? Ask God to place a spiritual filter in your life. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, my brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pleasing, lovely, excellent, or admirable, or praiseworthy, think on these things. Paul says, I got the filter for you, okay? I want to help you out, so Philippians 4 8, you might want to write that one down, okay? Ask God to help you, Matthew 6 13. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Pray it. When we face the gods of pleasure in our life and intimacy and the issues that go on there, there are physical things we can do. We can put filters on our internet. We can get a friend who's an accountability friend, somebody that's going to hold us accountable. Please don't choose anybody with the name of Amnon, okay? And if they are crafty, then maybe you got to find a different friend. But somebody will hold you accountable and say, hey, what have you been watching? What have you been listening to? I want to hold you accountable to this. Those are all good ideas. Go for it. Set those safeguards in your life. Practical ways to protect you from those gods of pleasure. But it starts spiritually. It starts spiritually. Make a confession today. Declare with God's help that you need Him in making these choices. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you this morning for the opportunities we have to come and worship you. But Lord, this morning, we talk about the different things that really battle for our heart. The different gods uh, that want to replace you. And uh, sometimes, God, it's, it's, a, it's a huge battle. And we, we end up going down a path we thought we would never take. And we ask, how did I get here? Maybe it's not us. Maybe it's a friend of ours. Maybe it's a family member, and we're looking at them saying, man, they're going down a tough path right now. So, Lord, we we come up with great ideas, whether it's putting filters on our internet or avoiding certain sections of a store or maybe putting an app on our phone to help locate us so people know where we're going and Maybe we got a, a friend who's going to help us and be accountable or we're going to talk to our spouse and say, here's a safeguard to make sure I don't travel down this path. Or, Lord, it's, it's really a dangerous God out there which we thought was make us feel so good, but yet it doesn't. So we come up with those safeguards, but God, we need something more. We need your spirit to protect us. So Lord, help us make this declaration this morning. To declare by faith that your spirit gives us the strategies and all the help we need. That it is your spirit that we call upon to take captive every thought. Lord, we want to be willing. We want to be ready for whatever you tell us to do, whatever your spirit leads. So Lord, soften our hearts to hearing your voice and heeding your instructions. We know that your Holy Spirit was sent into this world to help us, to guide us. Lord, help us to rely upon your Spirit to make the right choices in life. To not replace you with these empty gods. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. Whether it's us personally dealing with this or a friend or a family member, Lord, we, we don't want to deal with this anymore. We want to walk in a way that honors you. So take captive every thought, Lord, that's going on. We surrender that to you. God, you're an awesome God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being jealous for us and wanting us and having a relationship with you. In our precious name we pray. Amen.